When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Star Trek The Pod Directive, the official Star Trek podcast. I am one of your hosts. My name is Tawny Newsom. I am joined by my good friend, Paul. Paul? I am the other one of your hosts, Paul F. Tompkins, and I am joined by my good friend, Tawny. Tawny? That's right. We've joined each other. <laughs> We've joined each other in holy friendship to bring you. <laughs> it was a beautiful ceremony. Oh, we wish you all could have been there. <laughs> we we wanted to keep it small. Just going to have family for the initial ceremony and then we'll have a big party next year. What if friendships had <laughs> ceremonies? That would be adorable. Anyway, we are uh we are friends. We are both Star Trek fans and we're thrilled to be hosting this official Star Trek podcast. We're going to talk about all sorts of Star Trek stuff. We're going to talk to all sorts of people. It's going to be a lot of fun. We recorded the interviews you're going to hear a while ago. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of you might remember when the podcast was announced. Well, you might be surprised to know that uh, a, a team of very smart people got to work on this pretty soon after that announcement. It's just that, uh, you know, the world went bonkers, I think is the scientific term. It, the, the world went clinically bonkers. Yeah, medically bonkers, and uh, it got hard to make things. It's been a bit of a delay, but um, we recorded all of these great conversations and interviews with people that I never thought I would get the chance to just sit down with for an hour. I mean, politicians, scholars, very busy people, but that's kind of the incredible unifying power of Star Trek is that all of these people were so excited. Like, they would have sat and talked for longer about Star Trek. I thought that was really cool. It was neat. They were real fans and they knew the show like inside and out, you know, and it was, uh, it was a blast. And Tony, it's been fun doing this with you. You and I know each other. We first met on the TV show, Bajillion Dollar Properties. Mm-hmm. And we've worked together on a bunch of things over the years. And then, uh, and then this. Yeah. So you guys might know my voice from uh, being the voice of Ensign Beckett Mariner on Star Trek Lower Decks. If you want you never have to see my face. That's that's a choice that you get to make um, in the fandom. Like Star Trek has given me two jobs where they say, nobody needs to see what's going on here. They can just listen. Um, but so after doing uh, the first season of Lower Decks, which I mean was just one of the greatest jobs I have ever had. It's such a fantastic show. And working with all the all the Star Trek people has been so incredible. They, you know, they asked me to do this. And then the fact that I got to bring my friend Paul along, just, you know, icing on the, icing on the uh, uh, 
damn it, what's it called? Katarian chocolate puff. Wasn't that oh. that big <laughs> volcano cake? <laughs> I genuinely thought you were having a stroke for a second. I didn't realize you were reaching for a reference and I thought she knows the word cake, right? Nope, nope. Katarian chocolate puff. I was trying to dig deep into my into my Trek knowledge. I was trying to impress um, the fans to be like, see guys, I promise I'm a real fan. I'm not a fake fan. You can trust us. We're not trying to swindle anybody. I, I promise. I promise. Look, this is the only real like intense fandom that I would dare to say I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of part of. I think I would be too scared to say that about anything else I like, but I know a good amount of Star Trek, so I'm comfortable in my level of fandom. Paul, you know a lot too. Well, I, I do, but but I think that you do take it to another level. And, and that brings me to this anecdote, which can I reveal the late night text that you sent the other night while <laughs> oh, you were God, watching so an episode of Deep Space Nine? <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. You said, Tawny, I pick up, I see that my phone buzzes, I pick it up and I see there's a text from Tawny saying, <laughs> I may be a little buzzed right now, but Gold Ducat can get it. <laughs> Oh, welcome to the first episode, you guys. <laughs> this is the type of shit you can expect. Um, hey, man, this- just relax and watch some DS9 and feeling those special feelings. Oh, man. I don't know. I mean, Bashir was my first one true love, but, uh, you know, there were there were a lot of beautiful people on Deep Space Nine. It's, tr- oh, it's very true. How deeply embarrassing. Um <laughs> Oh, what else? So, Paul, we had some really incredible conversations with people this season. Um, It's kind of a limited eight or nine episode season of uh, just, you know, the people we could get before the world kind of shut down. And um, (laughs) the range of types of folks we talked to, I'm not sure how much we're supposed to spoil here, but um, we talked to an astronaut. So we've talked to a person who's been in literal actual space. We spoke to Stacey Abrams, spoke to Reza Aslan, a fantastic scholar of both Trek and language and religion. Paul, did you have any favorite moments? You don't have to say a favorite person. You know, I got I got to talk to Tignataro, whom I've known for years, about playing uh, Jet Reno on Discovery and having to deal with, you know, saying a bunch of scientific jargon. And uh, it was so much fun to hear her talk about that stuff in that way. And just the fact that we got to talk to people from so many different backgrounds and places. And I mean, it's kind of, it's what Star Trek is all about, you know? Yeah. It's nice that our interviews on the show reflect that idea. Yeah. And hopefully it's a subject that a lot of these people don't often get interviewed about. Like in this first episode, we talked to Ben Stiller and I think he says, there's nowhere else that I could talk about these things. Um, So yeah, we had some incredible access to some, you know, popular, cool, talented people that maybe this was one of their first chances to just purely geek out about something we all love. Yeah. It, it was really great to see these people in a different light. And uh, I think you're all going to enjoy what they have to say and how they have to say it. Now, Paul, you have always been a Star Trek fan, but your fandom started with the original series? Yeah. When I was a kid, I watched it in reruns and just loved it. It was like, uh, because it was a a thing from the sixties that I was watching much later, there was nothing else that looked like it on TV. And then the fact that it has just continued to flourish, you know, from series to series and adding more and more to the canon in the universe is, it's just a really cool thing. It, It really, it just makes you feel like a part of 
the world, you know, because everybody mm-hmm. knows Star Trek and everybody has a feeling about it. And uh, it's neat. It's a neat connective thing. Yeah, I have definitely enjoyed like the connections that I'm able to make when people know that I'm a fan or I know that they are and we can talk about our favorite characters or our favorite series. And I truly love that there is something for everyone. I love that my mom has now rewatched Enterprise, I think for the fourth time through. She just texted me the other day. She's been on a real kick because she's been a lifelong Trek fan. And so ever since Lower Decks premiered, she's been rewatching her favorite episodes. And most of her favorite episodes are in... uh, are in Enterprise. So I think she just said, well, you know what? I'm going to give a top to bottom rewatch on this one again. (laughs) I love it. So this episode is a great episode to to kick it off with. Ben Stiller is a huge fan of the original series and has a bunch of stuff that he's collected over the years. And it was really fun to sit down with him and, and let him geek out about this stuff. And we will hear that interview right after this break. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. Ben Stiller is a veteran, award-winning actor, writer, producer, and director. His many films include There's Something About Mary, Meet the Parents, Zoolander, The Royal Tenenbaums, The Night at the Museum trilogy. It just keeps going. And he directed all eight episodes of the Showtime miniseries Escape at Danamora. So good. But far more important than any of these achievements, I don't know, Paul, I consider this to be the most important thing that he's done. I don't know about you. I think I know what you're going to say. He's a lifelong (laughs) Star Trek fan. That's what I thought you were going to say. Ben Stiller, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm most proud of being a fan of Star Trek. That's my biggest accomplishment (laughs) in life. That and also having veteran in front of my intro. (laughs) I feel like I've, I've made it now. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, whoever wrote the intro wanted people to know that you didn't do all this in one week, uh, that this was over no, the course no. of several years. No, if you've been in show business long enough, you get to veteran. That's, I like it. <laughs> Absolutely. I wear it proudly. I wish show business had a military ranking system, you know, just like Jennifer Aniston would be like a corporal or something. I would love a corporal? That. Yeah. No, she'd be much higher, wouldn't she? What's a corporal? A corporal's like, like a colonel. Yeah, a corporal's oh, yeah. just above like, Or corporal. even like a, or yeah, or major or something. General. My military knowledge comes from Captain Crunch mainly. <laughs> I, I don't know the layers. It took me a while to put together what kind of captain Captain Crunch was. <laughs> He's like Mutiny on the Bounty era captain, right? Yes. Yeah, never made Commodore a source of shame for him. <laughs> That's right. I, I think this metaphor's gonna take off. <laughs> okay, so... You are a Star Trek fan. You admit this. Uh, You've talked a lot about Trek over the years. So you're not just like a casual fan. Like, you're in deep. Well, I'm a very specific fan in that I feel like, you know, there have been so many Star Trek spinoffs and incarnations, and I really sort of stopped my Star Trek viewing after the original series and then maybe the original movies. And I like the new movies, too. Um, but I haven't really gotten into it all any of the, you know, subsequent Star Treks that have been in the last 45 years or whatever. 
my emotional Star Trek growth is stunted in 1969. <laughs> There's something about the original show that for me, yeah, I just got it as part of my consciousness. And for whatever reason, I'm just very, you know, uh, drawn to the original. Yeah. And I, which I think is, that's very common for people to have, for fans to have a specific series that they're more drawn to than others. There's something about that specific combination of actors, of characters, of writing, of, of aesthetics that I think you're drawn to one more than others, perhaps. You started watching the show when you were a kid and you said it was your, your best friend growing up. <laughs> Did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I must have been really in a must have been a dark day. <laughs> That's probably true, though. I think um, Star Trek for me was it was something you could watch every night. Mm -hmm. It was on Channel Eleven in New York when I was growing up. I guess I watched it sort of in the first rounds of syndication not the original run because when the original run was happening, I was kind of just born to like yeah. four or five years old. But I think, you know, like when I was 10 years old, whenever they started rerunning it, I, I got into it and just felt very, yeah. I mean, I watched a lot of TV as a kid. So that was one of my top shows. And has your appreciation of the show changed? Like, do you view it differently now that you're older or is it still full of the same nostalgia for you? Yeah, no, it's really interesting. I feel like with anything that you experience when you're younger, there is that, you know, sort of emotional connection you have to it and that nostalgic connection that as you get older, it starts to have um, a different meaning for you. But over the years, I think I've gone sort of like in and out of my connection with the show. Obviously, as a kid, I was really into it. My mom would, you know, took me to a couple of conventions in the early, uh, or like the late 70s. And then, you know, I was Probably as I got older, when I got into my 20s, I, I remember like when doing a sketch show on MTV, we did a whole Star Trek, uh, you know, parody. I was like, loved doing that, was so into it. And then I think I kind of like went away from it for a while, but it never really left me. But I think in terms of like, just actually like watching the shows. And then when I had kids and they were old enough to sit in front of a television, I put them in front of a television because that's what you should do when you have kids, by the way, is just sit them in front of the television for as many hours a day as Yeah, possible. yeah, that's good. And and make them watch the shows you used to watch as a kid. <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> so we, uh, but I did, I started to watch it with my kids and that was really fun because it was definitely rediscovering it and seeing it through their eyes. And now I just kind of, and I still do it. I still watch every once in a while with my kids, but you know, for me now, it's kind of like looking for details and, you know, all these different aspects of it that because you've seen every episode so many times, you can now look for like, oh, like, let me look at the set in that, you know, in that one scene. Like, wow, that's so weird. Like the rug wasn't even vacuumed before they did that <laughs> shot. Or, you know, things like that, you know, because you really do see it differently, especially now with digital technology. I mean, they, you know, they did re-release them a few years ago and they did sort of this new version of all the visual effects where they sort of cleaned up the visual effects and did more sophisticated effects, which I really didn't like. Mm -hmm. Because to me, the great thing about the show was just, you know, the actual sort of like all the imperfections of it. And so uh, that's kind of what I love. But you, now on digital, you know, televisions, you can watch and see these, these really crisp details. I mean, there are things you can see, like in the arena episode with the Gorn, you know, which they shot out at Vasquez Rocks outside of Los Angeles. If you watch it on the full screen uh, on a big screen TV, you can literally see cars 
like on the freeway in the background <laughs> while Kirk and the Gorn are fighting. I'm not kidding. Like you can see them on the road to Palmdale or whatever. <laughs> so that kind of that kind of thing I love. I just obsess on. Yeah. Someone pointed out uh, in the next generation, they have the holodeck, um, which is this, uh, you know, room that's a black void with um, this sort of grid pattern in it. Uh, and now you can see in the restored version, uh, it's just tape. And it's very clearly just tape. Oh, the grid is just tape? <laughs> yeah. And that's even next generation. Right. Your mother, Ann Mira, took you to a couple conventions. What was her experience of the convention as she related to you? Because there's, I love, I love that when you're a kid, your parents do these things for you, and then you get their perspective on it much later <laughs> as an adult when they can finally talk to you about it. <laughs> I mean, I think she was, you know... It's probably it was probably a horrific experience for her <laughs> <laughs> to have to go through, you know, like I mean, she wasn't a fan of the show, and it's you know, it's like hundreds of people. I, I think it was like at this place called uh, the Commodore Hotel in New York or something. It was it's not open anymore. And she had to take me around and I, you know, wait in line to get like an autograph from Nichelle Nichols or whatever. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think for her, it was I made her do a few things like that in life. I mean, my parents were great because they would, you know support us in our fandom of things mm -hmm. like i loved sctv and when uh bob and doug mckenzie did their great white north album you know rick moranis and dave thomas they had a record signing at sam goody record store in new york and she stood online with me for like an hour and a half waiting for it to open you know to get to get the record signed oh. and i remember when we got to them rick moranis looked up and he said like and mira what are you doing here <laughs> <laughs> She said, I'm here with my son. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, Rick Moranis knows who my mother is. <laughs> so, yeah, she tolerated it. And my parents knew William Shatner a little bit in passing from, you know, just working. And I think my mom, she's definitely was on the $10,000 pyramid with William <laughs> Shatner because I remember going with her to, to see that. And, I mean, that was exciting for me because that, that – when they would do game shows like that, the people, you know, I was such a fan, like like LeVar Burton would be on or who also has a Star Trek connection. But, I, you know, I was a Roots fan. So, you know, that would be a chance to meet these people who were, you know, for me, the, my idols on television. I also remember making her introduce me to Robert Conrad because I love the show Baba Black Sheep. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't even know him. And I think I forced her to introduce me. So that must have been... I mean, but you know what? Now I have kids, so like mm -hmm. I, I do that stuff with, with my kids. And, of course. You, know, you do it as a parent because you want to make your kids happy. As a kid who um, was somewhat raised by TV in addition to parents, because I was a kid like that too. I watched a ton of TV growing up, and there was not as much overt concern about it back then as there is now. When you became a parent, like I know, uh, you know, your movie Cable Guy had a lot there was a lot of themes about, you know, the effect of TV on us and our relationship to it. How did that change for you as a parent? Did you see it differently when you became a parent or did you feel like, oh, actually, it's not that bad for you? I have sort of mixed feelings about it because the reality is there, there are some parents who are really very strict about it and are able to, from the beginning, set ground rules in terms of, you know, watching. Now it's not just television, though. It's any screens, right? So there's so much media. And there's so there's so many uh, things to watch. So, and when my kids were younger, my kids are now 17 and 14. But when they were younger, there was, you know, just, that was all just sort of coming up. But, you know, the actual screen time for kids, it's hard because I think as a parent, you know, when you're trying to figure out how to balance that while also, you know, doing everything else in your life, 
it just sort of was decreed, okay, well, television is bad for kids. Mm-hmm. And I guess sitting and staring at a screen is not the healthiest thing necessarily. But I also know that for me, I, I mean, not that I grew up to be the healthiest person, but <laughs> I, you know, I, I did watch a lot of TV. And for me, that kind of informed a lot of who I am in terms of, you know, culturally and, and creatively, you know, what my reference points are that I love that I love that I have those, you know, I have really yeah. fond memories of that. So we, we were never really super strict on the television with the kids. I, um, I think it has now blossomed into phone time. And, and that's really, really hard to control because it's just so much a part of everybody's life now for all of us. But I actually like the idea of watching things with your kids mm-hmm. and being able to share those experiences and to be able to watch Star Trek with my kids. It's been a really, really fun thing. And, and so I, I'm not super strict about it. We weren't super strict about it. Probably could have been a little bit better at that. But, you know, ultimately, I think um, in this world right now, that's just like it's something you can't get away from also. So you just have to figure out how to discipline yourself anyway. I find like with my kids, they they actually don't watch a lot of television. Nobody's telling them not to. It's just that they have the other things that they're doing, which are, you know, homework or school stuff or other interests, or they're, you know, maybe they are on like a, an iPad playing certain games. My son's like plays some video games, but he's not obsessed with Fortnite or those things, but he has mm. his own, like he likes YouTube shows. Mm. He watches some YouTube shows that I literally cannot understand for the life of me, <laughs> what, what the entertainment value is. I mean, I, it really makes me feel like, like I, I have no connection with like what, what is entertainment? Cause it's so weird what's on YouTube. And that, that's just like the, the stuff that's like okay to watch, not the stuff you, you know, that you want to block from your children. It's like the stuff that's okay to watch is weird. The innocuous stuff. And don't you feel like a psychopath when you ask them? I have a 16-year-old nephew, and I'll just be like, so what's, what is it about? And he'll be like, well, they buy new shoes, and then you can just see people like stomping on the gas. And you're like, what? And then the sentence stops, and you're like, yeah, 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 man. Cool, cool, cool. I don't understand this world at all. Yeah, it's very fetishistic a little. <laughs> I mean, you know, the people, yeah, like the kids opening things and opening toys, that's obviously a big one. But then there's uh, there are ones where they're just like silly kind of sketches and, you know, goofy things um, that I think maybe has replaced, at least I see my son watching that for me would have been, you know, watching Partridge Family and Bewitched. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I loved Bewitched. I also watched watched a lot of Bewitched. Okay, so we got to bring up your production company, Red Hour, because it was inspired by an original series episode, Return of the Archons. But you'll have to hurry. It's almost the Red Hour. Is that one of your favorite episodes of Star Trek, or how did you kind of arrive at choosing that name? This was probably about 20 years ago, and we were trying to figure out a name for the production company. And it's obviously pretty nerdy to name it after something in Star Trek, but I thought the, the Return of the Archons episode has this idea that there's this one hour during the day when everybody like freaks out and goes crazy and it's sort of like mm-hmm. sort of anarchic time. And I thought, oh, our production company's gonna like break the rules and go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's call it Red Hour. So it was like sort of like our rebellious, sort of like secret, re, re, you know, rebellious name. And, you know, <laughs> it's not like we've really done that, but uh, we've been pretty traditional as a production company making movies and TV shows. Uh, we haven't broken the form. <laughs> That one hour on set, (laughs) every day at lunch, you guys go bananas. (laughs) Exactly. Festival! Festival! And, you know, it's also like when you think about it, like, I mean, when you're thinking about it at the time, you're not thinking, oh, I'm going to stick with this name for 20 years. But 
it's you know it, it, fortunately the production companies kept going for that long and uh, I kind of I kind of like it because over the years people have discovered what Red Hour is or or they'll look into it and then you know it's fun to then let them know you know like okay well that, that that connection with star trek is something i'd like to have and there's like some star trek book that came out like some coffee table book that had sort of like stories about star trek and we made it into that book and i was like oh that's pretty cool oh awesome oh that's cool when i was a kid watching that uh, watching the original series i remember being very scared by that episode it was scary yeah yeah people were dressed in old-timey clothes that's automatically <laughs> scary for kids you're like you know what is this blithe spirit and then all of a sudden everybody freaks out yeah and that weird guy who like comes up and says hello friend joy to you friend oh yeah, my gosh what is strange <laughs> like is that the mix of insane 60s adr paired with a strange acting choice that's exactly right yeah <laughs> You're exactly right. It's the ADR. They did, they looped all of that exterior dialogue for whatever reason, which gives it that strange sort of otherworldly feel. But yeah, that did freak me out too. That guy always freaked me out. Have you come for the festival? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my God. I've found fellow nerds. I'm so excited. Oh, I mean, well, you know, when we're in charge of the official Trek podcast, you know, we're going to be a type <laughs> Um and so you have, like, reference Trek in a lot of your films. You named Will Ferrell's character in Zoolander after the Mugatu creatures. Um, <laughs> yeah. There, are there, like, a bunch of other references that we don't know much about, or has this all just been covered? <laughs> you know, Cable Guy, Jim Carrey's character, is sort of, you know, obsessed with all things television. So when they go to medieval times, they have the amok time uh, fight, yes. and he does the actual he yeah. has the actual fight, you know, the pond far, and he... Uh, he um, does the music, and, he, mm -hmm. and it was fun because like he actually sings the theme, and then we had the 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 score come in and do the theme, you know, over his singing it. That was one of my favorite parts of the movie. Was really really nerding out with that. Oh, that's very cool. <laughs> there was also the, a real um, deep cut in the movie Mystery Men. There is a, a brief conversation, like at the beginning of a scene, as if a conversation has ended, I think it's between you and Janine. Oh, sabotage, sabotage. Is that, is that yes. what? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a reference, I think some people will know as a reference to a famous uh, outtake of uh, a William Shatner. Mm. He was recording the Trek cartoon, right? The animated, the original animated series? Yeah, right. And uh, he says like, something like, he's doing, yeah, he's doing an animated voice and, and he says, uh, you know, we've got to sabotage the system. And then uh, <laughs> the producer goes, uh, excuse me, uh, Mr. Shatner, I think it's sabotage. And he's like, Sabotage. And then he goes, no, no, I think it's sabotage. And he goes, you say sabotage, I say sabotage. And he gets sort of pissed off and then the guy stopped. I mean, per perfect. <laughs> I mean, also Hank Azaria is in that movie and Hank does, you know, one of the best William Shatners around. Mm. And he's equally obsessed with Star Trek. <laughs> there is another reference in it's not really a reference well there is i mean there's a couple in tropic thunder too like it's like tropic thunder my character's like stuck out in the jungle and he's got an ipod with you know video and he's watching the arena episode with the <laughs> gorn and then uh we also put in matthew mcconaughey's character's office he, he plays an agent and we did set dressing in his office and i had a couple of my star trek props that you know that i bought at auctions and that, that I put in there. And one of them was the actual Gorn head. 
And <laughs> uh, the other was uh, Spock's ears from second season that I bought at one of those, you know, one of those auctions where you, anybody, you know, you can just, anybody can get stuff. Yeah. And this is actually for, for me, was like one of the high points of my life. I'm not being, I'm not being facetious, which is mm-hmm. I met Leonard Nimoy at an event right after uh, Tropic Thunder had come out and he had seen the movie and I was being introduced to him for the first time. So, which was exciting to meet Leonard Nimoy for the first time. And then he said to me that he had seen Tropic Thunder and he said, I noticed there were a, a couple of ears in one of the scenes in Matthew McConaughey's desk. Were those my ears? And I said, yes, those were your ears. Wow. I bought them at an auction. They're your ears from season two. If the, you know, pedigree is correct, if the, you know, if the <laughs> provenance is not lying. And, um, and he laughed. He thought it was really funny. And he said, well, give me your address. I want to send you something. And the next week... I got a package from Leonard Nimoy and I opened it up and it was a pair of his ears from the, the new Star Trek movie he was doing. Wow. That's incredible. And he, yeah. And he said, and he had like a little note saying like, you know, I know you're a fan, thought you might like these. And for me, you know, that's like, I, I just like, I was like, that's the best thing that's ever happened to me. So that's incredible. That's pretty cool. That actually uh, brings us to a very quick lightning round about some of the memorabilia you are rumored to possess. If you are willing to just present us with a confirm or deny as I read these alleged items that you, Ben Stiller, own. Okay, we've already covered the first one, which is two authentic sets of Spock ears. Confirm or deny? Confirm. A full head Gorn mask from the arena episode of TOS. Confirm. (laughs) Spock's tunic from one of the pilot episodes of the original series. Confirm. A lock of Gates McFadden's hair. (laughs) Deny. (laughs) <laughs> that is correct. You have won the game. <laughs> uh, I have a couple of other things that I could tell you about. Oh, lay it on us. I'm, this would probably be the only forum I could ever talk about this <laughs> where anybody would be interested <laughs> and, and not laugh at me. What? Ellen doesn't want to hear about this? <laughs> <laughs> really, nobody in my life wants to hear that. <laughs> so uh, I, I have the uh, laurel wreath that Kirk wore in Plato's Stepchildren, which was when he had the first interracial kiss on television ever. Wow. Yes. And uh, I have the jumpsuit that Kirk wore in the What Are Little Girls Made Of episode when they, they put him on that turntable and they spin him around to like make <laughs> a, an android of him, that like green and blue jumpsuit. Wow. Yes. And what else do I have? I have to ask you, how many of these items have you put on your person? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've never, I've never, actually, when, when we were doing Tropic Thunder, uh, the set dresser, he had the Gorn head and he came up to me one morning and he had this, like, his face was white. He just like, he was just terrified. He, and he said, I'm sorry, uh, there was an accident. I dropped your Gorgon head. It got, <laughs> it got ripped. <laughs> Of course, the first thing I said was, you know, Gorn head. First of all, Gorn head. <laughs> you, you ruined my Gorn head. <laughs> and it, it did get damaged. Luckily, it was just damaged in the back. It was like ripped in the back a little bit. Oh, wow. And I, you can't put it on because it's, you know, 60 years old or whatever. But yeah. uh, it, it is pretty cool to have that. I also actually have the Gorn's outfit, his like his little sort of onesie, you know, <laughs> right. tunic thing that he wore. And I haven't put that on. 
But uh, I no, I have them actually like in little display cases, <laughs> you know, like little sort of. Uh, they're not like refrigerated or anything, but uh, <laughs> I do have them. <laughs> I do have them out where I can look at them. And I did an interview with William Shatner a couple of years ago. He did some sort of 50th anniversary special, and he actually came out to my house to do this interview, and I was so excited to show him my stuff that I had. And I don't know, have you ever spent any time with Shatner? No. I, no, we have not. <laughs> he's a legend. He's the, mm-hmm. he's the man. And he, what's amazing about him is that he, you know, he just keeps going, keeps going, and is, you know, still totally creative and doing his thing. And, you know, I think he's always looking forward. So when I showed him, I said, hey, look, look what I have. Like, like here's the, you know, here's the laurel wreath from Plato's Stepchildren. He was like, oh, yeah, great. And he just <laughs> literally, like, walked away. Like he had no interest in, in any yeah. of it. Like even the Gorn head. I was like, that's the Gorn head. <laughs> and I think it's because he like, he's like, that was a thing I did, you know, 50 years ago for like right. a year and a half. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Yeah. In between my Twilight Zone episodes and TJ Hooker. <laughs> I think it's, that's part of why he's so vibrant. It's like, he doesn't look back and, you know, and I think he obviously, you know, has his, has written and, you know, seen interviews with him where he talks about Star Trek and there's all the interesting stuff between him and and Leonard Nimoy and you know I and obviously Leonard Nimoy's I'm sure we all have I am Spock and I am not Spock mm-hmm. I am Spock mm-hmm. the the uh the, the follow up to I am not Spock you know <laughs> so everybody's gone through their you know periods of like accepting and 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 denying and all that um which I can only imagine like what it would be like to be part of something that's that culturally relevant for so long yeah but it was funny to see him sort of like not really want to deal with all that <laughs> stuff I love that. Do you have any prop or uh, wardrobe accessory from your career that you have lost track of that you've ever thought, man, I wish I could get my hands on that again? Not really, I have to say, like, because I don't really think about props that way, you know, mm-hmm. like I don't like kind of have, and maybe that's now putting myself and now I can understand why William Shatner thought that. <laughs> like, I, I don't really want to have, you know, I don't know, you know, my, um, whatever, whatever it is from some movie. Like it just doesn't have that kind of emotional connection. I I will tell you an interesting story though, that when I was directing Reality Bites 20, whatever, 25, 26 years ago, we had to shoot some insert shots, like little close-ups in a little stage in the valley. Just like, I think I had to shoot like a close-up of actually like a foot on a, (laughs) speaking of feet on on an accelerator of a car, I had to shoot that shot. (laughs) And, um, a couple of other little, like little shots. And this place was called Howard Anderson stage in the Valley. Mm-hmm. And I was like kind of looking around as a sort of like this, like, you know, just like a little, kind of like a warehouse somewhere deep in the Valley. And I, you know, they had like, I could see they shot titles and things there and they had some Oak tag cards that were in the uh, laying up against a wall in a corner while I was waiting for them to set up a shot. And I started, I went over and I looked at them and one of them was this black card and it said Star Trek created by Gene Roddenberry. And it was literally like the font of the titles of Star Trek. Wow. Mm. And I looked at another card and it said, and also starring DeForest Kelly as Dr. McCoy. <laughs> That's cool. They were literally the title cards that they had shot for the opening credits of the series. Because if you look, they, you see the special effects were at Howard Anderson on the, the credits of the show. And my big regret is I was there that day because I, I, I 
I should have just asked the guy if I could have them, if I could buy them, if I could, you know, whatever, yeah. just, you know, take, cause it was, cause they were just laying there against the wall. And like, this was <laughs> whatever, 19, this was 1993. And they had been there since 1968 or something. And that's my, that's my one regret that, and I know <laughs> even saying that it sounds ridiculous that I regret not having the, kept the title cards from Star Trek. But for me, that was such a huge thing. I, I, and I, I was like, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I just have the the guts to ask the guy. I didn't even know why it would take guts, but I just, I just sort of left them there because they were sort of sacred. Well, but imagine if for some reason you weren't allowed to have it, how embarrassing that would be. Right. <laughs> I know, it was exactly. Like, these exactly. things, clearly, it's not like they're going to use them for anything ever again, <laughs> but to be told no. <laughs> I, I was, a, my fear of being told no kept me from taking the chance of asking for them. So that's one of my regrets I'll go to my dying day with. <laughs> Let this be a lesson to you, young people. Exactly. If you ever come across the title card. And the thing is, title cards don't exist anymore because, of, you know, now they're just computers. Well, if you guys ever come across the laptop Ben used in Along Came Polly, get it, damn it. Get it. <laughs> I love that movie. Um, okay. What else we got? Oh, okay, wait. We got to do this part. Imagine that you are on the Enterprise, all right? It's late at night. You can go anywhere you want. This doesn't stipulate, like, who you are, so you get to make that up. No one will see you, but you're on the Enterprise. So where would you go? What would you do? What's your what's your night in the museum <laughs> on the Enterprise, I guess? Wow. Well, I think, first of all, I would want to go to the bridge, you know, just to actually be on the actual bridge and, you know, see what the viewing screen actually looks like. Because if you ever looked at the Star Trek Concordance, which was like this book that they published that had like sort of like the blueprints of uh, Enterprise. They always showed that on the bridge, the viewing screen was like 30 degrees actually off of the front of the ship. Like it wasn't facing directly in front. First of all, I also used to think that the viewing screen was actually a window. Did you ever think that in the beginning? Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then that sort of blew my mind when I realized, oh no, it's just like they can magnify and it's actually whatever. So I think just to like actually check that out and see that. And then I'd probably go down you know, I just want to go to like all the real places like sick bay mm -hmm. and uh i mean like spock's quarters are fascinating you know and be able to like maybe play his vulcan harp <laughs> <laughs> as i say this i'm just feeling more and more like no girl will ever talk to me ever again. <laughs> we did walk you into the i mean this is one of the nerdiest questions this is a safe space man <laughs> Um, you know, I mean, the shuttlecraft bay, that's always like, it's interesting because like you hardly ever saw that and like to see the, you know, the scale of that, the impulse engines room, you know, the engine room there, I think, uh, I just love to go to like all the actual spaces where things happened, you know? Yeah. You directed all the episodes of, uh, the Showtime series, uh, Escape at Danamora. Um, and you won a director's guild award for that. Do you see yourself moving more into just solely directing or dividing your time between directing and performing? Or is there a sort of a happy medium? Well, I mean, I think I, I love acting. I've always loved acting. And I've also always loved directing, like since I was 10 years old. I mean, really, since like I started watching Star Trek and movies like uh, Poseidon Adventure and The Sting mm -hmm. and, you know, all these like great, you know, 70s. There's so there's so many different kinds of, of movies in the 70s that you could get into Planet of the Apes and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Dog Day Afternoon and just, you know, I, I just love movies and I always knew I wanted to be a director. 
Uh, and then I started acting also. And my parents were, you know, in show business. And so I was kind of always around it. But for me, uh, directing and not acting is, uh, you know, uh, I really feel very, very comfortable doing that and enjoy that process. Though over the years I have directed and acted in a lot of things I've done. I think uh, doing Dan Amora for me was really uh, kind of confirmed how much I enjoy directing and not acting. So I think I'd be happy to act in something that someone else is directing and keep directing things that I'm not in. And then, you know, if something came up and it did both, I consider it. But right now I'm, I'm really loving just directing. Do you have any aspirations to maybe direct a Trek movie or a TV show or even appear in one? I mean, I feel like a, the appearing in one thing. <laughs> Look, we don't have any power to offer you a job. I don't mean to mislead you, sir. We have no power. I have no job for you. <laughs> okay. Um, I thought you were sort of hinting at that. <laughs> I, I think it sounded like I was, but I have nothing here. Yeah. But if they hear it, maybe they'll do it. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I think they know. I think at this point, for like 20 years, I've been a known Star Trek fan. And nobody's approached me yet. <laughs> Look, if they like said like, hey, they're doing Star, you know, the fourth new Star Trek movie, I would be I would definitely, you know, be open to hearing hearing uh, what the pitch was, though I, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. But I really actually, I think J.J. Abrams did an amazing job rebooting that series. And uh, I thought I, I like he captured it with the casting and, and the energy of what he created, which was new, but also, you know, had the, the core sort of feeling of the original Star Trek. So I thought that was uh, really well done. But, you know, I'm happy to be, I'm really happy to be a Star Trek fan and, Again, I think uh, when you go back to the original series, it's kind of, it feels like it's just sort of part of our cultural consciousness. And for me, it's part of my, like, just who I am. So I, uh, I, it's not like, I feel like I have to sort of be a part of it. But then again, you know, if somebody did come to me with a Star Trek project, I would consider it. Right. (laughs) Sounds good. Speaking of projects, are there any, I mean, you've gotten to do so many things over the course of your career. Are there any unmet goals for you? Is there anything still that you're looking to maybe nail down? You know, I think when you're a creative person, you just keep doing your thing. I mean, it's kind of like the William Shatner thing. I think he's literally, you know, he's just thinking about like, you know, what's the next thing that's going to be interesting and exciting and challenging. So, you know, I I don't think of it like in terms of uh, goals of like, oh, I want to do this or that. Or I I think it's uh, I want to keep on figuring out how to get closer to making something that you know, I feel totally connected to. And I think every time you go out, you want to, you feel connected to what you're doing somehow, whether it's as an actor or, or a director. And I think as I gotten older, I feel like that's more important to me is really finding that personal, I guess, uh, creative sort of experience. You know, the, it, it's almost like a, a version, I think, of connecting with yourself when you're making something because if you if you can connect with something that's real inside of yourself that's going to resonate for people hopefully and also just personally it's you know therapeutic too is that too heavy an answer no not at all no it's good but i i am gonna end us on a light one okay (laughs) are you are you a kirk a spock or a bones (laughs) (laughs) or are you a combination are you a combination of the all three well, they are like, you know, the Holy Trinity, right? Yeah. <laughs> they, um, they represent all sides of it. I mean, that's, that's what's so brilliant about, about that relationship of those three guys. But, uh, I mean, I've always gravitated. I love Kirk. Kirk is, you know, like I had my Kirk, my Kirk action figure when I was a kid was my, you know, that was my prize figure. And Spock, I, I just, I'm fascinated with 
you know, him as a, as a, as a character and, and Leonard Nimoy as an actor, I just think what he did was so really amazing when you think about it in the context of that show and what, you know, he was really making up for the first time that now has become like an archetype sort of, uh, you know, but a Kirk, I'm a Kirk guy for sure. <laughs> I love it. I did meet William Shatner once, by the way, oh. when I was a kid, because my mother had a series that was on the air for like 10 episodes in 1975 called Kate McShane, where she played this Irish lawyer and they shot it at the Paramount Studios in LA. And I went out to visit her for the summer. I was there with for the summer with her and they were shooting it on the Paramount lot. And I was walking to say hi to her or I was with her. Maybe we were like walking to get lunch or something at the commissary. And this guy comes up to us and he's dressed like an old time cowboy. And he's got like this bulbous nose and a big handlebar mustache. And he goes, Annie, Annie, how are you? And and it's it's Bill. It's Bill Shatner. <laughs> it was William Shatner in disguise <laughs> for an episode of a show that he was doing called The Barbary Coast. Do you know this show? I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. I think it was a failed series where he played uh, an undercover detective in 1880s San Francisco. <laughs> oh, ah! my God. Oh, wow. We must find this. Yes. Wow. <laughs> I mean, maybe it was a pilot. I don't even know if it went. I, but <laughs> And that was the first time I met William Shatner. And I was, I had these mixed feelings when I walked away, which was like, oh, my God, I just met Captain Kirk. I met William Shatner. But it, it didn't look like him, so I didn't feel like I'd actually really met him. <laughs> right. Yeah, no. I mean, I have mixed feelings about this yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> a handlebar mustache, that must have freaked your child brain out. Yes, he looked like a character from The Year Without a Santa Claus or something, like a dog catcher in The Year Without <laughs> a Santa Claus. <laughs> That's wild. Uh, did you try to ask him to sign anything or were you too like uh, shook? No, I think I was I was definitely <laughs> starstruck in the moment and trying to process it all. Yeah. And then later on, though, I did have a few invites to, to his house to go to watch uh, Monday Night Football in the 2000s. And that was fun. And, you know, so I was able to, you know, I've had my my William Shatner experiences in life, which has made me very, very happy. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> uh, just so people know, Barbary Coast, you can buy the box set for $50. Hell yeah. On Amazon. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? Oh, God. I got to check that out. William Shatner and Doug McClure. <laughs> <laughs> Doug McClure. Perfect. Yes. But isn't that weird? That's like one that nobody, like people know TJ Hooker. They know, and yeah. I guess because it didn't run, but like that's one that people just don't really know about. Yeah, and it's four discs. Like I don't know, I don't, I don't know how many episodes are on each disc, but if they try to spread it out, <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I want that. <laughs> That's wild. Well, you've given us something to look forward to. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> Me too. Now I want to see it again. But Ben, just just one last thing before you go uh, on Amazon. Barbara Johnson reviewed Barbary Coast, gave it one star, and her review is loved it. <laughs> mm. Ben Stiller, thank you so much for being with us. This was delightful. All right, great talking to you guys. Well, Tony, that wraps it up for this episode of Star Trek The Pod Directive. It sure does. Um, if you all liked this, please go ahead, like, subscribe, tell a friend about us. Yeah, you don't want to miss an episode, and you don't want your friends to miss an episode if they truly are friends. Truly. But I want to thank my friend. That's you, Paul. <laughs> I want to thank my friend. That is you, Tony. 
And I want to thank my friend who is also myself. I am a friend to myself. <laughs> you have to be. Okay, so we'll be back next Monday. So we'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Want more Trek? If you live in the U.S., go to CBS All Access for classic episodes of Star Trek The Original Series, Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Voyager, and Star Trek Enterprise, and new seasons of Star Trek Discovery, and Star Trek Picard. In Canada, watch Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard on Bell Media's CTV Sci-Fi Channel. Star Trek Discovery streams on Netflix in 188 countries. And Star Trek Picard does the same on Amazon Prime. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Pew, 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 pew. Pew. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown, new season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.